Roan Mountain Radio, episode 83. Welcome to Roan Mountain Radio. I'm Ken Turner. This is a podcast about Roan Mountain, the jewel of the Southern Appalachian Mountains, always located on the border of Tennessee and North Carolina. The Spring Naturalist Rally is coming up April 27th, 28th, and 29th. This is the 60th annual Spring Naturalist Rally and is brought to you by your friends of Roan Mountain. It will be at the Roan Mountain State Park. On Saturday, you will have your choice of over 16 hikes and activities. Now, these are family-friendly. All capabilities are welcome. There's a hike for everybody, including young ones and old ones and ambitious hikers and more strollers than hikers. One of your choices is a centipede and millipede hike led by Cade Campbell. Now, if you haven't met Cade Campbell, you are in for a real treat. He is a Tennessee master naturalist. He has participated in many naturalist rallies and has led hikes for the Friends of Roan Mountain and the Extreme Roan Adventures. He has shared his discoveries and collections with several nationally known naturalists. Cade is also working on his service project to complete the requirements for the rank of Eagle Scout. Now, I hope you will find Cade's enthusiasm contagious, and I hope you get excited, too, when you listen to Cade in this preview of his hike, Centipedes and Millipedes. I am really tickled to be talking to a master naturalist that is going to lead one of our hikes at the Spring Naturalist Rally, and the hike is Centipedes and Millipedes, and our hike leader is one of our favorite naturalists, Cade Campbell. Welcome, Cade. Yeah, well, thank you for letting me record a little bit. I'm really excited about the hike. Well, tell me a little bit more about it. The brochure just says centipedes and millipedes, and I know there's something else to the story. Well, centipedes and millipedes, uh, I don't feel like they get quite as much attention as they, they deserve, especially like between Southwest Virginia and the Smokies, because uh, from Virginia to about Georgia, there's a, there's two great areas. Uh, Virginia Tech's done a lot with millipedes and centipedes, and a lot of what I've learned about them comes from those studies. But uh, Roan Mountain area has a lot of really unique millipedes that can't be found anywhere else in the world. Their closest relatives live in the tropics, and you know if, you, if you've ever seen one on the trail, they're just beautiful. They're big. They're brightly colored. They've got such a neat life history that uh, I'll hopefully talk more about, and they are uh, – just uh, on the hike and they're, they're just amazing animals and they're a lot of people really don't think about them but there's just such a great diversity and they're just so different from species to species so yeah i'm, I'm really excited now you're you're blowing my mind i thought they all were you know a centipede here is the same as one over there yeah well uh centipedes and milkies are also really really different from each other centipedes they're uh, carnivorous. They're really fierce predators, and not much will mess with them because they have a nasty bite. But millipedes are slow and harmless, and they taste really, really, really bad, and some are even poisonous, but they can't harm um, a, a human as long as you don't eat one. <laughs> I'll make a note of that. Well, now, tell me about the uniqueness of millipedes. Millipedes are so unique on Rome Mountain because the glaciation is something that really uh, contributes to it. You know, New England was covered with glaciers for quite a while, and down in the Appalachian Mountains, 
there were all the northern things that could find a refuge ended up there. But these millipedes, I don't really know how they came about, but they have an amazing ring of mimicry because there are lots of flat-backed millipedes. That's what they're called. They live in the area, but they have just developed in this little region with very specialized plants and animals. They have developed a bunch of different species. So there are just a ton of them that live in little secret mountain coves, and they're able to live where other millipedes can't. And you find sporadically different species across the United States, but there's not really that big congregation of species like there is in the southern Appalachian. Congregation of multiple species? Oh, multiple, yes. There, there, there are tons. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling reading through papers on them, you know, how many there are and how hard they are to tell apart. A lot of them are just uh, peaceful. They eat leaf litter, and they eat different le- stages of the leaf litter. And then the centipedes eat thing, other things that eat the leaf litter so that, that, you know, all the leaf litter doesn't get eaten. So both of them have a very important job, and there are tons of them in the forest. They've got – because their food sources are abundant, so they can just survive. So there's a really high chance of seeing a whole lot of them of a lot of different species when you're out in the woods walking and looking under leaf litter and rocks and logs because they have plenty of food and they've got their own little job in the forest that they need to do. Uh, Well, now, where's your, do you think your hike is going to take place? Well, we're going to go down the Blue Two Trail, which is just, you know, a short walk from where all the hikes are going to meet. It's a nice area. It's got lots of rock faces, and that serves as, you know, all the millipedes get stopped there because they're not the best climbers. And so they get stopped there, so you get this little area where they're all trying to figure out a way to crawl past the rock, and then you get centipedes in the soil. Centipedes, they, they have more of a choice about where they get to be, and a lot of the centipedes are really small and inconspicuous, but there are like two or three species that are really stand out and are special to the southern Appalachians that uh, I really hope we'll end up seeing. I've uh, seen some in that area that look really promising, and they're really neat. They look, I mean, they're very formidable looking, but but really amazing. It's moist. There's lots of leaf litter. It should be a perfect place. So you're, you're thinking already a gold mine there for centipedes and millipedes. Really, Rome Mountain as a whole, you know, no, no matter where you are, you know, there will be millipedes show up there, of different species, different kinds. You'll, you'll run into them uh, everywhere. So leaf litter and then rocks are a barrier for the millipedes. Yeah, that's cheating. That's how you're kind of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as long as you're not hurting the millipedes, it's, you know, it's fine. They'll stay in their natural habitat, and we'll get to look at them and observe them and wish them luck on their way, finding a way around the rock. So why does he, is it like a, why does the millipede want to cross the rock question? Millipedes have this, this tendency to, in a particular season, and I've been observing just this spring, where uh, especially even if there's just rain, sometimes it's spurred by breeding, but a lot of times it's just spurred by rain. They don't want to drown, and it's the perfect time since they require a lot of moisture to be on the surface, especially flatback millipedes. They're able to survive a lot of cold by digging deep underground in the winter and making a little circular burrow. But when it rains, they can come up to the surface, and that's when you see them most often. So when they're trying to get around the rocks, it basically just means they've been out foraging, and they're trying to continue on their quest, but they run into a big obstacle. It's really amazing. They've got a lot of mechanisms for movement that give them uh, some difficult choices about where they are or where they have to be because they require so much moisture. They have to really be constantly on the lookout for drying out. They'll come up in the rain a lot of times, like salamanders and a lot of other 
moisture-loving creatures. Okay, but now you mentioned something, um, methods of movement. They have different mechanisms, mechanisms of movement. Yes, mechanisms. So uh, their their back strokes longer than the front stroke. So this allows the Appalachian millipedes to survive, where a lot of big tropical, other tropical millipedes, they're closely related to, but are different. They they couldn't do that. They wouldn't be able to burrow. They're actually giant millipedes on Rome Mountain, too, that are pretty much the only one of, member of that group of tropical millipedes that's in the U.S. So it's really puzzling how they're able to survive such cold temperatures. But we may run into those, too, because I've seen them quite frequently on Rome Mountain. Giant millipedes? Yeah, giant millipedes. I, I mean, these things can span across lengthwise your entire hand. They're, they're beautiful. They're not as brightly colored, but they really stand out, and they're a lot more agile. Oh, you'll see them several feet up in a tree on a rainy day sometimes. Wow, I didn't know they climbed trees. That's pretty cool. I have to warn anybody who wants to see them up. They're perfectly harmless, but they will stain your hands. If I try to hand you one, it's all in good fun, but you will get your hands stained. They're harmless. Tell me about the stain. What's that about? Well, a lot of predators... The stains actually would taste very bad. So if I were a little shrew or a little mole and I was hungry and I would, was to grab a hold of a millipede and get that stain all in my mouth, it would taste nasty. And, it, you know, it, it would almost be like something really, really spicy. It would, it would burn your uh, tongue and you'd want to drop the millipede and take off and leave. Actually, a lot of the millipedes smell like cherries because they've got cyanide inside. But they're, they're harmless. You can, you can pick them up. But that if you were a predator and were to eat them, they would be very dangerous. But since we're just observing them and we're not going to try to eat them, they are perfectly fine. They're harmless. So they're, they make great subjects to observe because their defense mechanisms can't hurt people in most cases. Okay. And keep them out of your mouth is a good idea. Yeah. But most of them are harmless to people anyway. If you've studied these on Roan Mountain already, have you got an idea – how many kinds, different kinds that you found? Some of the most notable ones is there's one called Aphaloria. It's a scientific name. Uh, a lot of times they're called cherry millipedes, and they are the most, uh, they have the highest concentration of hydrogen cyanide, which is their poison, and uh, not, uh, not venom. Centipedes have venom, but that's a different story. But uh, the millipedes have the poison, and then there's one called the uh, Brachoria, and it's the Hendrickson's Appalachian Mimic Millipede. And g- generally, they're just called Appalachian Mimic Millipedes. But this one mimics the Aphaloria so that it doesn't have to produce as much poison, but things still fear it. So all the millipedes pretty much have similar colors so that predators will be scared of all of them. It's been a very interesting thing for me to learn about. So how did you get started in learning about these? Well, it's been about these big black and yellow millipedes. Those are the ones, the cherry millipedes. And I've always wondered what those are because, you know, whenever I'm out in the forest, I see these black and yellow millipedes and I thought, what are those? They've got to have a name. Then I realized that there are so many different kinds of them. And it's distinguished by, you know, the seventh pair of legs on a male. You know, you you have to look really carefully. And then I realized that there are just so many different types of them. So I thought, hey, that's pretty neat. So I just started reading more and more and more about them. You know, I haven't done any studies on them or discovered new species professionally, but, you know, I've observed them a lot. And through that, I've just developed really uh, great attachment to native millipedes and centipedes. And centipedes, they aren't quite as diverse in the southern Appalachians, but we have a special one that uh, only lives around here that 
is very large and uncharacteristic of the other centipedes in the area. So, so it's it's been a very interesting to read about them, especially on Rome Mountain because there's just such a wide array of different uh, millipedes. So now, in your your studies on Rome Mountain, do they go from the bottom of the state park up to the top? I have not looked on the top of Rome Mountain, but I know that in the bottom of the state park, northern hardwood forest is the best place for them to be because it they they have a hard time eating spruce needles, most species, but a lot of the deciduous leaves give them an opportunity to, to, to feed. So they're they're really numerous, especially around the Blue Two Trail, Peg Leg Mine. You know, you, you see a lot of them in the main part of the park. You know, even in the campground, they'll show up. So that's where they typically hang out. But on the mount, on the top of the mountain, I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of them will um, have very different behavior and be very um, interesting to observe. Well, that sounds great. So people coming on your hike, they need special equipment or hard hats or anything? <laughs> no. Uh, the Milties are, the, are probably one of the simplest things to actually go out and observe, and they're hands-on. It may seem, make them seem scary, me saying they're poisonous and venomous, but Milties and centipedes, for all practical purposes, are entirely harmless to people as long as they're not injured in any way. So you can pick up a, you know, a millipede and hold it and watch it, and it'll crawl over your hand. And in most situations, you won't have to worry about a thing. You can just you watch it and observe it. It'll be really cool, and you can just set it free, and it'll go on its way. And no bites or stings or anything? Stings. Now, centipedes are a different story, but we'll have to be a little more careful about those because a lot of those have pretty big nasty things, especially the big one that's native. There will be fewer centipedes, and when we do find one, it'll be uh, simpler. They're pretty easy to tell apart. If it's fast, don't touch it. I got you. I got you. Okay. Well, I I do notice that this is also a kid-friendly hike. It is very kid-friendly. And millipedes, they're something you know, uh, that are very fascinating to children. Because, you know, if you if you pick up a millipede, you know, it's, it's very interesting. It's close to the ground. It's easy to watch. It's slow. It's harmless. It's, and it's really fascinating. They're fun to watch. So, yes, it's very kid-friendly. Hey, uh, another question. Have you raised any of these in your bedroom? Uh, probably. I have some up there right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and not, not just like some. I've got like, you know, in the double digits. Cade! <laughs> I've actually gotten some to breed and set them free in captivity. <laughs> well, now tell me about your breeding project with its millipedes. It's just something I, I put a bunch of them to watch them and just uh, keep them and take some pictures of them. But, uh, now, what time of year was this? Or recently? or This was in the fall, actually. And so okay. I, they are so low maintenance. All they eat is leaf litter, so I didn't check on them for you know about a week, and I hadn't looked for eggs or anything because I just thought that was so preposterous. But I looked, and all of a sudden uh, I saw little baby millipedes, and I thought, well, these may just be some wild ones that came in with them. But sure enough, more and more came up, and I have the last generation, but I, I think they're breeding again, so I may get more eggs in another generation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just I'm blown away. So now, how you've got them in a, an aquarium, a terrarium? Yeah, just a just an old just an old aquarium. And then I, I'm actually keeping some with a glass lizard I have, but that, the glass lizard is just he's, he's funny. But uh, the those giant those are giant millipedes. I have giant millipedes in 
some uh, northeast Tennessee, uh, southwest Virginia millipedes that you wouldn't find on Road Mount. But I have some of those in a separate cage, and those are the ones I've bred. Oh, my gosh. And I, I think a lot of people that uh, from other areas are very interested in keeping millipedes. So, you know, if I can start, you know, maybe some of the more common ones that are, are easy to breed, you know, if those could end up in the pet trade, you know, as the mountains are starting to, you know, be threatened in some areas, you know, some of these millipedes, that, that may be their only hope of survival. Oh, my. Hopefully not yet. I mean, they're so numerous in the areas where they occur. But, you know, they've got such a small range, who knows, but they're like low-maintenance pests. If people think goldfish are low-maintenance, millipedes are like the lowest of the low-maintenance. <laughs> well, so what do you, uh, uh, you put put a little wheel in there, like a hamster wheel for them to exercise, or what do you what do you do with maintaining them? You can pretty much, uh, just put a bunch of leaf litter, and they can burrow and walk around and some like the giant millipedes, they love fruit. Uh, I'll be eating a banana one day and you know give them a section of it, and you know they'll eat it, and uh, or an apple. They, it's mostly just leaf litter that they are rotting wood, depending on the. And then you change the leaf litter every week. Yeah, well, they revert it. It becomes directly soil. They're like earthworms, so you know they eat the leaf litter. So basically, just um, take some of the soil out of the bottom and you know shake all the millipedes out. I haven't figured out what kind of leaf litter the the um, flatback millipedes like the best. I just keep like a whole section of uh, from soil to uh, big fresh leaves in the, the enclosure. So they'll, they'll find food. Right, but now you're you're talking specific there. If the flatback likes oak leaves or a specific leaf, right? I've got a theory that that's where they're um and and because I I have read some studies, they're very efficient about converting chemicals. But I know things, certain um, leaves, like especially cherry trees, they have cyanide in apple. Uh, they have cyanide in the leaves, the same kind that the millipedes produce. So uh, I'm wondering if there's a connection between um, uh, the uh, leaves in the, that the millipedes eat and then the uh, cyanide they produce. Wow. Go for it, man. That's pretty cool about how they uh, feed there's a lot being done with them right now, but there's still like a lot of wiggle room for studies. Right. So what do you foresee the next 12 months doing for your millipede breeding research? I, I'll just continue to read. There's lots of good papers coming out of Virginia Tech, uh, the Merrick Lab. I've actually, over the internet, I've communicated with some of the guys up there, and it's been neat. I've gotten sort of semi-mentored, you know, by a lot of those guys just just from the internet and talking about millipedes. So what do they, such as, what are they advising you about? Oh, how to identify them. Tips on how to, you know, tell one species from another, resources, a lot of that stuff. But the Merrick Lab at Virginia Tech, pretty much, that's the the, uh, place that I uh, have learned most of my Southern Appalachian millipede knowledge. That's really helpful. So now you mentioned earlier that the a gap between the Virginia Tech Roanoke district and then the Great Smokies district. So you're and are you the head researcher for this area? By by no means. Uh, even though there are probably new species yet to be discovered in this area, it's a uh, I'm not. I, I'm I, all the stuff I've learned has other people have collected before me and said, hey, look at this. And I believe somebody has contributed it who has relations and ties to. Um, the Friends of Roan Mountain, but uh, I don't know exactly how. I think Dr. Levy. Okay. 
Wow. So we need to get you together with whoever that is then. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. You know, it's fun. It's a hobby. Okay. Well, last question. So when baby millipedes are born, how big are they? These range from species. Some of the millipedes never get you know, spread across my thumbnail. Some of them are just so pains, painfully tiny. And centipedes, some of them are even smaller. Like I found one the other day that I thought was a springtail or some kind of little tiny organism. But like baby millipedes start out as eggs that, you know, you may not be able to see without a mag- uh, magnifying glass or be able to distinguish them from uh, a piece of uh, debris in the soil. Wow. The baby millipedes, you know, it really bases on species. But the flatback millipedes, the smallest one I've seen when they hatched, was probably um, a few uh, millimeters long. Well, maybe close to half a centimeter, probably. I don't know how much it had grown since it hatched. So. My gosh. Fantastic, Cade. Well, you're just, one of these days, you'll be selling tickets to your, your collection there. Well, that would be nice. For now, for now, it's just fun. It's for fun. But, yeah, I really hope that I end up in the field of studying them. I got a pretty good feeling you will. Thank <laughs> you. All right. Thanks for taking some time with us, Kate, and we'll see you on the mountain. Thank you. Well, I hope his enthusiasm was as contagious for you as it was for me. I really appreciate Cade's time. As you can tell, he is a very busy young man. Look forward to the hike, the millipede and centipede hike. By the way, if you want to know a little bit more about Cade and his interest in all things nature, one of the places to start would be the Friends of Rhone Mountain Spring Newsletter. He has an article in there on millipedes and centipedes. It starts on page 7. Links to access that newsletter are online. You can go to the Friends of Rhone Mountain, abbreviate mountain as MTN. That's friendsofrhonemountain.org. Also, you can go to Rhone Mountain Radio, episode 83. The links will be in the notes below. And also, while you're on, on the Rhone Mountain Radio, go ahead and sign up to get these email so you don't miss one of these interviews or previews i think you'll get a lot out of them i know i really do and i enjoy it so other things other links coming on the spring naturalist rally april 27 28 and 29 go ahead and get your reservations in the meal deadline if you want to have a catered dinners and lunch you need to get those reservations in by tuesday april 24th if you miss that deadline Put a sandwich in your pocket and come on out to the Roan Mountain State Park and join us. We'll have activities for young and old, big legs, little legs, just a tremendous assortment of activities and hikes. Larry McDaniel, the rally director, has done a super job. You're just going to really enjoy that. So links to the reservations and registration online. Also, the schedule, to be able to get your schedule for all the activities. There's also a kid's schedule for Saturday the 28th. If you want to just zero in on one day on the mountain and get all the kids' activities in that you can, download the kids' Saturday schedule. There'll be plenty of activities. And there are, even after the program Saturday night, there's kids' activities that I'll let you discover that for yourself. Online registration, spring rally brochure, Friends of Roan Mountain newsletter. All the links are there. Go to friendsofroanmountain.org or roanmountainradio.com. That's it for this edition of Roan Mountain Radio. I'm Ken Turner. Thanks for listening, and I will see you on the mountain.